Hi, welcome back to STEM Corner. I'm Alexa Zanders here with Eton Ball. Today we have the pleasure of introducing Carol Thompson. She is the Student Outreach Support Coordinator for the STEM Core program at Mesa College. She has been a mentor for me and my peers over the last couple years and one of the biggest supporters of this podcast. Without her support and encouragement she offers, STEM Corner would not exist. Today, she shares with all of us her academic and career journey while raising children, finding her passion, pivoting, developing self-advocacy, and much more. Before we jump into the interview, I wanted to remind you all why Yitan and I are here. The STEM Corner podcast is a platform for people to share their experiences as a student and professionals in the STEM field and to provide valuable resources in a fun yet useful way. We believe in the importance of learning from each other. If you would like to hear some more about Yitan and I and our mission, check out our five-minute pilot episode. It would mean a lot to us and our guests if you could follow us and share the podcast with your friends and family. If you or you know someone who would like to share their story and insight with us on the podcast, please follow us on Instagram at the STEM Corner Podcast and send us a private message. But without further ado, let's jump into the interview. student support faculty of STEM Corps program. Can you explain what it is and what it offers for students? Well, STEM Corps is a one-year uh, preparatory program. It has an emphasis in math. It's designed to help students uh, to finish their prerequisite courses to enter the major of their choice and major of science. As a STEM Corps student, uh, you'll be a part of a learning community once you're accepted into the STEM Corps program. With STEM Corps, it isn't just a matter of getting uh, one person. You have a whole team of people standing behind you, beside you, under you, whatever you need, whatever the student needs to succeed. That's the whole premise behind becoming a STEM core student. You take a set of preset courses that are in your first year to prepare you for your higher, higher level um, science and math courses. The program is designed specifically more for Hispanic, low-income, first-generation. Anybody is uh, encouraged to apply, anybody interested in STEM major. And uh, students are required to participate in career exploration activities. Um, and all these things, of course, are coordinated by the STEM core team. Upon completion of the program requirements, you would be eligible for paid internships uh, with the STEM employer, making connections with the and networking within the STEM community. And STEM Corps really offers this inclusive, supportive community that I think is important for students to really not just pass classes, but learn life experiences, even when we leave Mesa, if yeah. they transfer or they go straight into a career. I, I think, you know, I totally agree with that because out, out of high school, college is so random. Like you, you get into college, but after that, what are you going to do? I didn't know how, where to apply for classes or like where to register for classes and all that. And STEM core is like a tutorial with lots of support towards getting started and figuring out the nitty gritty stuff like registering for classes or choosing good professors and giving you an example of what a good community looks like. Carol, how did you get started with STEM Corps? Well, how I got involved, um, I was uh, in uh, EOPS interning as a counselor there. I um, 
I'm really big on informational interviewing. And I happened to interview somebody that was part of the STEM program at Mesa College. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect for me because I have this natural curiosity. It just seems like no matter what I do, I wind up circling back to an interest in the sciences. This was an opportunity to meet students where they are, support students, still have the counseling kind of background, but yet a little more hands-on where I can um, mentor and coach and sit side by side, um, not in a 15-minute counseling session in college where I can do this on the students' terms, meet them where they are. And uh, that was the biggest um, thing for me that attracted me to participation. Um, I've stayed with it. I've, I've been in this STEM core program at Mesa College in some sort of fashion for about four years, somewhere in there, whether it was in the STEM center or basically working with the STEM core students. Mm -hmm. I think what you said about being side by side and not just 15 minutes is really important. Meeting with counselors, we're always asked to, oh, prepare your questions and we'll answer them in 15 minutes. But questions come with what you're talking about. So usually when I go to counselors, I don't really have any direct questions for them. I'm there to figure it out. And the questions get stem, no pun intended, from what I talk to with the counselor. We know that you're a big part of STEM core, but do you want to say specifically kind of more your role as or in STEM core for the students? So how I identify and how I see my role is more, we have, we have a STEM counselor, right? And that, that's dedicated more to the academic end. She also teaches the personal growth class that's attached to the STEM horror program. For me, I'm more of a liaison between all the pieces that are involved with STEM core. So with STEM core, we have the STEM uh, specific counselor that's dedicated to you. We also have a STEM core internship coordinator that's also attached. We also have somebody that is working with the outside public off campus as work-based learning. So with all these working parts, there needs to be a liaison, somebody that's dedicated and I'm more accessible, right? So so if you email me, we've used all different applications at different points in the program. We've had the Remind app, just whatever, whatever happened. And then, of course, when we got thrown into the situation with the pandemic, everything became online. Meeting those students where they are, my role is to basically make those connections for you. If you're having trouble with this, and it could be even outside of school, I've actually did some resources for students that were having some trouble with housing, things like that, especially with during the pandemic. So mm -hmm. I see myself more as like your coach, somebody that can help you identify a need that you may not even know is a need yet. Sometimes in the conversations that we've had in STEM Corner, uh, a student has uh, came in there not realizing they've had a question and through those conversations have discovered they had a big question, right? What am I mm -hmm. doing? What am I taking? Am I adding a bunch of things on my plate that don't need to be there? And that's the whole thing. It's like that natural curiosity that I have transcends over to the student. Makes I feel I'm very good at what I do because of that natural curiosity. Yeah, and yeah. It, you definitely spark it in others. So you said informational interview and uh, earlier. And so what exactly is an in informational interview? Because... I personally don't really know exactly what it means. Well, let's 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 talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um when I was in my undergrad, I struggled with failure and trying to make decisions based on that. 
And then I slowly, I got in touch with a mentor that actually talked to me about informational interviewing. And he cultivated that within me. And basically, informational interviewing is a way to explore interests uh, without having to totally dive in. So you might have um, an industry or a job or a role or something that you might have an interest in. So, you know, for me, this is how it works for me. I create a list of whatever the curiosity is. And and then I try to identify people that might have knowledge in that. And then I work off um, a set of questions that have worked for me over the years you know, good seven solid questions because these informational interviews are not intended to get a job. It's more, most people want to talk about the things that they do in a positive way. And they love that curiosity because they want to share, especially if you're curious, they'll be curious, right? So I have a good solid set of questions that seven questions that'll work for me. Of course, I change those questions depending upon who I'm interviewing, but it's brought me to all these different conversations with all these different people where sometimes I had thought in the past, oh, I have an interest in this. Well, maybe not so much because once I found out what their job really is, it's not for me. Do I really want to sit behind a desk or am I more people, right? I am definitely a more people person. And so eight hours a day, five days a week behind a desk isn't exactly for me. I, I, you know, I'm able to kind of tease out the things that are important to me. And through this, like informational interviewing, I've had some people that actually connected me with other people that I did learn a little bit more. And I like to read. I like to read for pleasure. And in this, one of the questions I've used before is what's your favorite book? And the next thing you know, that opens up another conversation. The Great Gatsby. (laughs) that's my favorite book (laughs) it is it is yeah i love that what does it say about me (laughs) you actually you actually touch on something that's really good um you had said you know your curiosity then provokes curiosity in the person that you have you're having the informational interview with and that is so true but this also ties into networking like when you're just out and about talking to people and having a question in your back pocket and, you know, like, what do they call those? Like my party one-liner or something oh, yeah. like that. Like my <laughs> one little icebreaker. Having, instead of having something funny to say in certain situations, you, you know, ask, you probe, you you try to figure people out because then they taking an interest in them. You can't help but then take an interest in that other person. Yeah. So that's a great way to network. So I just wanted to throw that in there yeah, for the like listeners. Yeah, it's like creating the web right between people right speaking of networking alexis you've had the chance to uh, be in carol's network for way longer than i have and even within the few months that i've known carol here in my first year she's an amazing mentor so uh, maybe you guys can get into a little bit more about uh, that I felt like you were a mentor right away because you also had a period of time before you knew yourself well enough to go to school. And I resonated with your story because pivoting can be scary on top of being your own advocate to go after what you want. Can you share a little bit about your experience right after high school and the 10 years before you attended college? So when I finished high school, I really didn't understand myself. I was not aware of my strengths. I kind of own ideas behind failure or kind of like a a ball and chain that I needed to kind of disconnect from. I became a mother quite young. I was like 20, 22, and I had two children at that point. And I was a single mom and I identified myself only through them. And it took a while for me to find myself outside of that. 
And when it finally came time for, for me, my time, it was understanding and making myself more aware of who I am and my own interests, right? So I think that lack of confidence and finding my own way. And I do believe in mentorship. So when I was in my undergrad and I really didn't have an understanding of resources, where to go and who to see, what do I do? Where do I even begin? I wound up taking a couple of classes that didn't relate to anything, not even knowing that I should have started with math and English. I started off with oceanography and geology, which probably wasn't the smartest thing. <laughs> no, no, but I, I finished with C's and I thought, okay, you know, this has been a large gap and I can do this. I can do this. And through that, I wound up meeting a counselor that wound up being a really good friend of mine later in life. You know, of course, it took a while when I was no longer one of his students for that relationship to transcend. But it was because of him and his willingness to help guide me, share his information, whatever he had, his curiosities, right? And his, uh, you can do this, you can do this. And initially for me, I've always had an interest, like I mentioned earlier, in, in the sciences. And then initially uh, I thought I was going to do something in social work because of a life event, right? Um, something happened with an, an elderly person in our family and I really wanted to get into gerontology, social work, or something along those lines. And it kind of come back, weave, ebb and flow, ebb and flow. I'm getting a little off topic here, aren't I? <laughs> no, it's, it's great, yeah. And then when it came time, you know, I found a way to get through my undergrad safely in the bottom part of this without going over my units and to explore the things I liked. And in the end, I found that social work wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. So I started uh, doing a lot in sociology. And then I thought I wanted to do research. And then when I had transferred, it was actually my minor that gravitated me to counseling in the end. And it was a minor and somebody, another uh, mentor was taking a look at my transcript and said, hey, Carol, do you realize that you have a minor here? All you need is one more class. It's already there. I'm like, wow, really? And then I took that one more class. And then I was like, wow, I was totally hooked. I just enjoyed the content so much that in the end, I thought, okay, I want to do academic counseling, something along those, those lines. I can still follow my passions by doing informational interviewing. I can still follow my passions by taking classes outside of those things where I, you know, I do a lot of things and like continuing ed or something like that, because I'm, I'm always going to be a lifetime learner. I will not stop. I will always continue to learn. And I, and I can't do anything like a normal person would. Like I mentioned before, I like wanted to work on my weight. No, I can't do Weight Watchers. I have to go get my certificate in nutrition because I have to be on the other side of the table. I have to have an understanding. So that's kind of how I am. Ah, but, you know, that's really relatable for me because I remember when I was with my college counselor, one thing we were talking about trying to figure out what I can write for my college essays. And I was like, you know, I'm in, interested in knowing how things work. I don't I don't like doing things for the sake of doing it or because someone told me to. And um, I, I draft all. Upon that, I drafted a college essay talking about how I like to learn physics because, you know, bio and chemistry, these are cool, 
but physics is really what tells you how everything works at a basic level or throughout the universe yeah just it's that curiosity that drives a lot of things yeah i would say the same too like back when i was taking all the classes on edX to build confidence and have self-advocacy and go after what you want and kind of rebuilding from having a harsher time in high school yeah. <laughs> you know i was taking the classes and i just wanted to know more and more and more same with neuroscience like it developed from this you know little seed inside of me that loves psychology but then wanted to know more and more and more yeah like but why but why and it's different from high school because in high school you're forced to learn a bunch of stuff which you know curiosity might help if you happen to be interested in what you're learning in school like english or history or whatever but once you get out of high school and you're going to college you still have to do some general eds but it's mainly based on the curiosity you have towards something you personally like or personally relate to so it's a lot more personal so I, I guess it's a lot more enjoyable as well in that sense. So I had a question during those 10 years, because it's not, it's not really clear yet, you know, when you were in your earlier 20s, how did you end up choosing then a major? Could you dive in more about where pivotal moment was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go to school and this is what it's going to be, even though I'll explore. Was there that initial spark? I think that initial spark was for me was my children. You know, everybody has to have their why, right? And I had this expectation that I wanted for them. And if I have it for them, I have to, I need to do it for myself, right? So they were my driving force. You know, college was not something that was part of our family. It wasn't something that someone talked to, to me about it every day. I didn't have somebody behind me going, hey, I think you could do this. It was, you know, those things didn't, they weren't there for me. And I think that if I had met somebody like me when I was younger, even being a young mom, it, it, it's all in the timing, but I might've taken a different, you know, turn, but it took me a lot longer. You know, I'm just, you know, kind of, I guess, I guess you want to say a late bloomer, right? <laughs> it took me a lot longer to find my, my own why and all this, and that I could like the little engine that could, because I, I didn't have it. I just didn't have the direction, the confidence. I had the motivation, that's for sure, but I couldn't get past that, that fear, the fear of failing. Mm -hmm. That was something I had to let go and finding things that work for me, right? Not everything works. And, and even finding things that work for me at the time that I'm in, living in that moment and finding it that it works at the time. Because I have found that something that didn't work for me back then definitely works for me now because I don't have minor young children in my home anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I, can, I can stay up late at night. I don't have to get up and I have a 17-year-old at home now. So that's very different than somebody, you know, so the things that wouldn't work in the past can work now and swift, you know, the other way around. It won't work now. Mm -hmm. You know, it, there's there's our limitations when you get to a, you know, a certain point. Right. So did you explore um, different topics then when it wasn't the right time to go to school? Did your curiosity start after you had kids, did you have a like, were you naturally curious in high school? So I think that's important, at least in my story, too, and even your story. Um, there is this theme of being curious kind of helps push you out of your own comfort zone without even realizing it. And we grow from those experiences when we can explore what we're curious in. So I'm trying to get to like the root of if someone's sitting here saying, well, I'm not that interested in things and I don't know what to be curious in. What would your perspective be in triggering that in someone 
for yourself? A lot of those online personality assessment. I mean, there's a whole bunch of those now online or you could kind of explore just finding your strengths, right? I think knowing, knowing, knowing what comes easy. We all know what, what we're not good at. Like that's the first thing we go to the negative, right? Well, no, I'm not good at that. Okay. I won't do this. Okay. I'm not good at that. Okay. Let's start with the other way around. So I think finding the strength, right? Where you are and leaning into who you know you are. Like I didn't lean into my curiosities before. I thought I kind of looked at it completely different. It's, it's like going into a store and you need to buy pants and there's 50 pairs of pants in that store. It almost is so overwhelming. You turn around and you leave. There's actually a lot of research that supports that. So here it, it goes the same way on majors. How many majors are there out there? How many different things you can do? How many different jobs are there out there? But you really have to know yourself in order to kind of narrow this down to something, something that's obtainable, something that you can achieve, right, for you. So finding your own strengths and then, and then and in even those weaknesses, leaning into what you might perceive as a weakness. Like, like I said before, it's like my curiosities at one point I thought were kind of a weakness. And now I've learned to embrace that. My natural curiosity, I'm embracing that now. I didn't embrace that when I was younger. You know, and I, I think I would start like if somebody said to me, hey, I don't know where to begin to start checking out my interests. I would start with like a personality test. And I know that seems a little generic, you know, and also this has me leaning into like our, our learning community, how you have somebody right now that is in your world, Ethan, and you have really bonded over kind of exploring this desire to create a podcast. I mean, if, if it was just you, you know, either one of you individuals, right? That's not a podcast. You having each other and leaning into each other, having the learning experience. That's another thing. I think that's another way to explore you know, your curiosities is having somebody to even say that to, look, I'm curious. And then dot, dot, dot. And that other person would say to you, well, what do you think about? And then the next, you know, it all starts with a conversation. You, you, you know, you can create growth through conversation. Right. Yeah. Networking doesn't just mean like finding mentors or jobs. It means building your own friend circle. Yeah. I mean, it's literally how this podcast started. It was like, oh, I want to do a podcast. Oh, you do? I want to do one. I wanted to do one too. Let's do one. And it was like within five minutes, we had the podcast going. So, um, so talking about not necessarily just like feelings of failure, but not having the confidence or second guessing yourself or leaning into, you know, I don't want to say weaknesses, but mostly like where you, where you're not feeling strong yourself, um, where you can grow, right. Where there's potential for growth. Right. I wanted to get your perspective on when you were in school, did you ever have W's? Did you drop classes? Um, did you ever take an F, a D? And how did you kind of deal with those feelings? Oh, I think we all have, you know, those feelings when you're in school and especially because, you know, it's all about that GPA, right? If you're planning on transferring, there's a lot of pressure on that GPA. And those W's, everything affects you, right? It's, you know, and picking the right classes and picking the right instructor, that kind of thing, the one that fits you. Um, any any huh? listeners that don't know what the W is, it's not a win, it's a withdrawal is 
when you get out of a class um, halfway through because, you know, it's just not working out for you. If, you know, anyone's listening from high school or anything, the W's yeah. don't exist there. Yes, exactly. You know, it's 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 a class that you've you've um, stayed in long enough to pass the ad drop period. And and, and you're going to get and that stays on your permanent record. So all those things kind of affect you. But I can say, like for me, for somebody that has loved STEM and a lifelong learner, the, the thing that I've always seen as a perceived obstacle is math. And it's in my head. It's not even real. It's something that I've created in my own mind that it's a, I see it as a mountain, this thing that's always in my way. And that whole math anxiety, like I think if I had kind of addressed that earlier on, I would be teaching some sort of science right now, but it didn't. And so I found another way to get back to what my joy is in STEM, but it's with my natural you know, curiosity and, and being a counselor. But for me, that math thing that was in my way, um, I actually repeated every single math class while I was um, in my undergrad. I'm not kidding. Every single one. I would, and then, so finally, I, I figured this out about myself. I convinced a math teacher to let me stay in her class and no longer be enrolled. So this time, instead of getting the W, I actually dropped the class and I took the class the whole way through. I even took the exams. I just, and people would say, how'd you do on the exam? Oh, it's fine. Cause it took all the stress off. <laughs> but in truth, I finished that class when I finally did take it for grade as an A minus. And all I needed was that confidence. I just needed to feel that success. And that little bitty bit of success changed everything for me. Like I didn't even know at that time I was going to transfer actually. I still was hanging. Oh, it's just going to be an associate's. I don't know if I need a bachelor's. I'll just, cause I had a job, you know, I had a way to make money. Right. And, but I really, the, and the, there's a lot of pride in my own mind about doing this thing much later in life. There's a lot of pride that I persevered and showed my own resilience after everything that I've been through my lived life, right? that I could do this thing. And that was the most important thing. I didn't do this thing for other people. I did it for me, which was really, really important. But, you know, just finding what worked for me, recognizing that it's my own anxiety. It's something that I kind of created. No one's really said, hey, Carol, you know, you're, you're terrible at math. I mean, it was me. It was all me. Right. It was all me. That's what I tell my tooties, my math tooties. <laughs> They're always like, oh, I'm just, I'm not good at math. I just, I hate math. I'm terrible at math. And I used to be really bad at math too. I took algebra twice in high school. It was almost one of the years I failed high school. And it wasn't one until I found the right professor that kind of instilled that confidence that you had mentioned. And I just fell in love with it. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just a mental barrier. I think I might have brought this up in my episode two in the earlier episode. But I, I always describe it like, you know, thoughts and thought patterns are like rivers and riverbeds. And usually, you know, that thought is going to get to the ocean at some point, but it's, it's going to pick the easiest way by na nat naturally. And usually the easiest way tends to drop your confidence a bit and drop your self-esteem yeah. down and then 
So, but the problem with that is the more the river flows, the deeper and more ingrained that riverbed is. And so the longer you've been in a cycle of failure and barrier and under, you know, saying, I can't do this, I'm not good at math and all this stuff, that riverbed gets really deep. And it's just one or two things in your life that can happen that can completely change the direction of where that water is going and it's difficult because you got to pave a whole new you know canal or like some dam or something but it, when you do it it's great because now you control where the water goes as in you control what what you want to do and you know what you want to do and you can do it yeah it's a it's a paradigm shift when you live within your comfort zone there's no growth and unfortunately even if saying math is hard and I'm not good at it or I hate it or I'll never, you know, that is still within your paradigm. So actually in a situation like that where there is self-doubt, there's no confidence, stepping out into a place that you also don't have confidence, there's the unknown, can cause you to grow and really experience that situation different. So I think sometimes like we self-prophesize, right? Totally. Yeah. And and that and then you create this reality when you say it enough. So getting away from self-prophesizing is something it's kind of a weird thing that just sort of happens, right? That we say these things and you if you say it to yourself long enough, it becomes real. And so letting that those old practices go mm-hmm. is super important, right, for growth. Yeah. I mean, that's been the theme of my year of 2020 especially last (laughs) semester just kind of having letting those let thoughts dictate your behaviors by the world that you perceive around you so if you have a negative thought towards the situation that you're in that becomes your reality and so that really not only just with school or the subjects that were really hard for me last semester it was in my personal life so that practice of just like kind of getting over this hump that math is terrible, it's really hard, you'll never get a good grade at it, you'll never, like getting over that is also a life lesson for getting over other obstacles that come your way. So So that that. kind of leans into something else as, you know, let's just say you do get a bad grade. Let's just say you fail a class. Does that failed class define who you are? No, No. shouldn't. And, And that's where we... I'll be the yes, pessimist uh, or the, the semi quota realist <laughs> in the situation. Students will say, yes, that defines you because of your GPA. And then you're being looked at by these schools and these campuses for when you're transferring yeah. is what I'm trying to say. But so I, I think you're onto something um, with where you're going, Carol, but also to like, how do we go about it by telling students like, yeah, if you're going to fail a class, if you're going to get a withdrawal, that still doesn't define you as a person. Yeah. You know, that's a system that the institutions have created. And we do have to have measurements. I get that. For moving forward, for a student who's failed a class, there's ways of replacing that. There's ways of boosting your GPA in another area, right? By taking another course that might be a little bit easier for you. Or grade replacement. There's, you know, there's all different ways to get past that. But if we're hanging on to that failure and having the failure be the definition, no one's going to go anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just finding that middle ground on how to let go and move forward. Would they say, they say like, where there's a will, there, there's a way. way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. Do you That's remember right. any specific times, like specific classes that you took um, where it really kind of knocked your confidence? So like 
you know, you had to build up this confidence to start school and chase your dreams. And then, you know, we hit these speed bumps. So do you remember any specific times you hit these speed bumps and it knocked you down? And how did you deal with that? Does it have to be about grades or can it be something that maybe I'm working on currently? It could be currently. Like for me, I've never been a real athletic, outdoorsy sports person. But my husband and I, we want to go on a hiking trip in April. And I've had this fear of failing, right? And competitiveness like that is just not something that works for me. So letting that fear go and looking at what my goal is and chunking it out. So for me, it's looking at it like something that I can obtain. So really seeing it for what it is. So my fear of getting physical, I won't be able to achieve it. You know, the whole thing will be a failure. I'll roll down the hill. I won't make it, you know, that kind of. Mm -hmm. So chunking it for me has kind of made it more obtainable. So it's only been a couple weeks. And the first thing I thought about, okay, so how am I going to make this goal obtainable? All right, we've got to look at the shoes I'm going to wear. Okay, great. And I have to have comfortable shoes, right? And breaking it into a more obtainable thing for myself. So smaller hikes, right? How am I going to get this in my schedule, right? So uh, making sure that I'm doing it five days a week for, you know, an hour a day and, and building up to where I want to be, right? Letting that fear go. Otherwise, I'll never do it. I mean, we've talked about doing this for years and my husband's in a lot, well, much better shape than I am for doing this kind of a hike. But for me, it's like facing that fear of not being able to do it is chunking it and making it look like something that I can do, Mm -hmm. which is a smaller, my goal is to do 10 miles. It's pretty rocky terrain. I'm not going to be able to walk, you know, from here to the laundry room and be able to build up to that there, I'm going to have to actually leave my home, find a canyon that looks a lot like the canyon that I want to go to and do smaller hikes. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Like that can tie into how a student creates study habits, how they tackle going through community college, or even if you're listening to this and you're in university and your goals to get a PhD, you chunk each section, each. Yeah, it it still applies. It's yeah, uh, it's just a concept of chunking and scheduling and doing it, you know, gradually, phase by phase, little by little. Yeah. Step by and step, I think brick and, by and brick. And the tools, right? <laughs> like having the right tools, right, in your yeah. in your toolbox. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have the right shoes, I'm never gonna climb this mountain. I mean, I learned that, you know, the first day of hiking that those shoes that were on my feet were not going to work for what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I needed to get some more comfortable shoes, wear the right clothes, stay hydrated, plan, not stay up till 2 a.m. watching something on Netflix because that's not going to work. I'm not going to wake up in the morning and be able to do this hike every day. Mm-hmm. But that's how I'm letting that fear go. Because if I hang on to the fear, oh, I've never been athletic. I'll never do this. I, and it's something that, you know, I... I perceive I want to create a new thing for our family, which is going on these hikes and and going to national parks or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But I will never get there if I just stay on my sofa watching Netflix. Um, Sensations or the sensation of feeling overwhelmed can lead to procrastination. But like you said, reminding yourself in those moments, like you've created your schedule, you've put in what's important to you, you've put in your priorities. And this would feed, this is kind of like a feedback loop, right? So 
if you're feeling overwhelmed, like to procrastinate, that then is going to lead you to feeling overwhelmed the next day because you didn't finish your to-do list or you are now behind on something. And I'm totally guilty of it. I will binge watch Netflix when I start <laughs> to feel overwhelmed. And then the next morning I wake up like a, a shameful hangover almost. <laughs> So I do think it's important to, one, be kind on yourself if you do fall into these procrastinations and you're feeling overwhelmed of a busy schedule and you're not accomplishing what you want to accomplish. But then also taking responsibility, like that is a big part of it. People talk about motivation all the time and they're like, how do you find it? How do you find it? What pill can I take? Where, like, how can I get motivation? And it's not about that. It's more so self-discipline. And like you went into, um, you know, Netflix will always be there. Yeah. Get out, go for your hike, you know, pull out your textbook, just get your homework done. Even if you just started a bit of it, right? Then you can feel accomplished and said, okay, I started my math homework. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or Carol, you went for your hike, but it wasn't as you wanted. You still got out of there, out of your house, away from Netflix. Plus, it's usually just that getting started. Yeah. Once you get started, it'll roll off. The same way you start one episode and then next thing you know, you finish three seasons. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. happens with my homework. I'll get started with the first exercise. And I'm like, this is so... And then 10 minutes later, I'm done with the homework, which is very right. cool. And you feel good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels good to be done. And, and it's a lot more rewarding than knowing what happens next season. Yeah. So... um. Carol, when you first started going to school, were you, did it take a while for you to kind of master like time blocking and getting your schedule situated? So I think like for me, I mean, every day is an overwhelming schedule. <laughs> I think we're all feeling that you get up in the morning, but I lately, what has been working for me, in, especially in this, this new world that we're kind of living in now and and we've talked about this, you know, especially in STEM corner, there's definitely a blurred line between home school work right now, because we're all in our homes. And really I work at, to define what that line is, making sure that I do unplug like over the winter break. I meant it when I sent out an email to the students going, Hey, make sure you take time to unplug right? Like on the weekends, I make sure I take time and I unplug. Like I won't check my, my district email over the weekend. You know, I try to reconnect on it on Sunday. Now, you know, sometimes that doesn't work because you'll open something up and there'll be a hundred emails in there, but just disconnection, you know, planning it out, right? Uh, realizing, and the, the biggest thing right now is realizing that this is all temporary, like, you know, and prioritizing what needs to happen for versus uh, need, want, and it is so different, right? And it's like, you know, I mentioned Netflix earlier, you know, recognizing that, you know, yes, it's fun to go down the rabbit hole and binge watch something, but we all do that. We all do it. But recognizing I need to turn it off. Oh, and knowing that it's not going away. Netflix is not going anywhere. I can watch that at another time. Is watching Netflix more important than what I mentioned earlier about hiking, right? Right now, I know that the hiking needs to be a part of my regular life, right? So I make that a priority. So when I'm feeling overwhelmed, uh, like if it's something like a sudden, because I can get 
anxiety like a lot of people do. And how I deal with my anxiety is all I have notebooks, journals everywhere in my house, everywhere. They're all over the place. And for me, I'll write jot out whatever it is, whatever's troubling me, and I'll date it. And what's really cool about this is that later on, I can go back and reflect at what I thought was perceived as causing me this overwhelming feeling and realize that it's just temporary. You know, seeing the growth, seeing the change just seems to work for me, but it's not for everyone. Right. And I don't know that this technique would have worked for me at other points in my life, but like this overwhelming feeling of not having enough time. I think time is something that we all kind of wish there was more of. How would you say pivoting has actually helped you shape who you are as a person and grow? And for the listeners who are either also 10 years out of high school wanting to go to school, or even a student who wants to pivot in majors, like you're in STEM, you want to pivot to humanities, go for it. How would you say that that has helped you shape who you are as a person um, from doing that or constantly doing that? I think pivoting is part of growth. You know, somebody who's like, like how, how I was, and, you know, on the outside and deciding to go back to school. Um, I would think to let, I would say to them, you know, and you don't want to tell people how to feel, but it's that shame that keeps us from exploring those things and judgment and recognizing that, you know, we do these things and, and, and culturally I understand in certain families, I get it. There's a lot of pressure, but, um, in discussing what kind of the world looks like right now, there's a lot of shame. And, and, and there's a lot of people that are being been in businesses and things like that have been there for many years and now are out of the workforce and having to reinvent themselves yet again. If you look at the, you know, the economic collapse of 2007, 2008, it happened then too. And, you know, seeing that as a, as a time to change, just like right now, but it's the shame, it's the shame and the embarrassment you know, that, that we, that we, we feel that is happening. And sometimes hearing someone else say, well, we're all doing it. That, that doesn't help. <laughs> sometimes it, it, you know, don't, don't use, that. <laughs> don't use that. And try to find, you know, somebody in your network that'll support you, right? That somebody that, that, that will say to you, yes, you can do it. Now, I mean, you don't want to be, you know, a 60 year old, saying I want to become a rocket scientist because there's going to be a lot of time that's going to have to happen in order to accomplish that. But, but you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's realistically. If you're reasonably considering actually pivoting, then you're obviously making a choice that's going to make sense. Yeah. And shame is of course rooted in what other people think of you. So if you can start to let go of, identifying yourself as no I'm this major or I've been in this career for so long and you really understand that that shame is coming from because you have to now tell someone else that you're doing something this and you're identifying with something else or you're completely switching roles sometimes it's it's the shame and then the discomfort of letting go of an old identity that you had like I went to school for this and I thought I was going to be this and this was going to happen but now either it's circumstances or you've outgrown it 
letting go of that identity for yourself kind of will then help you release that shame of what other people might think. Because if you think poorly about yourself and pivoting, then of course you're going to feel shame and afraid to tell other people that it's time to pivot and you want to move on to something else. So I think you grow so much by leaning into what is really uncomfortable. And if you can be comfortable with letting go of an old identity, then it becomes easier to to pivot. And it kind of goes back to that mindset we talked about with math class, right? Yeah. The self-fulfilling prophecy. You think you're going to fail at pivoting and you might just end up failing at pivoting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you have a discussion with with people that have lived experiences, no one is going to tell you. I, I I think it's impossible for somebody to say, oh, yeah, it was a linear line. I knew I was going to do this. It took X amount of time. I mean, that's highly rare, right? I did have a student once that she knew since she was nine years old she wanted to be an engineer. She planned it out. She transferred. She did it. And in four years, she was done. But And she's still an engineer. But that's more on the unusual side, I would say. I, you know, most adults will say, look, I've, I've done this, I've done that. And then it brought me back to this. You know, it, it's, it's not linear. It's just not. And, you know, and I think it is important that we, um, we, we try to find ways to find our strengths and identify what we perceive as a weakness. You know, and because most in most cases, it, it it's something that we've we, we've done right. The self prophecy thing. Something happened in our youth or at some point, and we've got this notion in our minds. And moving forward, you know, it's that time we're wrapping up, and so we want to finish off with uh, the question: What's the one thing with everything you've said being taken into consideration? What's the one thing that you say, listeners, get out of this? episode um i would say uh self-awareness i think it's really important self-awareness uh and and just kind of leaning into knowing who you are um spending a little time to get to know you well it's been great having you yep thank you it was great having you on yeah awesome recap because Carol shared a lot of good advice. Start exploring jobs and fields and see who you can schedule an informational interview with. Have prepared questions about the person you are interviewing and their roles in their career. Remember to be curious about them to keep the conversation flowing. This is great to practice even for more direct networking moments. Carol had a mentor who encouraged her to start doing the informational interviews and it helped her find her way to a fulfilling career. As you start to network more, keep an eye out for those who could be a good mentor for you, potential partners for future projects, and people who are supportive. She also kept exploring her why. It takes a good deal of time to reflect on why one makes the choices they do and what they are passionate about. Every goal that is worth setting comes with its own set of challenges and speed bumps. Carol learned to lean into her fears to better understand herself and define her why. In doing so, she developed resilience towards feelings of shame in times of lows and turned it into confidence to keep after her goals she set for herself. She shared even when she had those feelings of failure in classes and didn't get the grades she was hoping for, 
She remained curious and worked at not letting those grades define her intelligence and capabilities. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with Carol Thompson, and if you have any questions for her or wish to leave a comment on today's episode, please send us a message on Instagram at the STEM Corner Podcast, or our email is in the show notes. Feel free to send us an email there. See you next week. Oh, 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 oh